the Forged and Unbroken podcast. I'm going to do this totally backwards. Okay. Um, start with a ret- retirement of mine. How long is it that you have now been retired? Uh, just over just over a year, year and a half, I guess. Is it a year and a half uh, now? Actually, a little bit longer than that. I retired March 22, so it's actually... Actually, it's almost two years. Yeah, you're coming up on two yeah. years. Wow, Damn. time flies. Yeah, really. What does that What does that look like? I remember. Um, I remember hearing about motorcycles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do, are the days do a lot look more like riding. Yeah. A lot more riding on the bike. Um, uh, it's nice. It's nice not having a schedule so you can get up and go and do whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, some people probably think I'm odd, but I, I enjoy doing the stuff around the house, doing stuff out in the yard, and That's awesome. splitting wood yeah. and all that kind of stuff that I haven't been working on. I tell you, getting outside, I, just, I feel like a better person. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do too. It's uh, probably the the biggest change was at which people don't talk about, or I haven't heard people talk about it much. Is the first six months you feel kind of odd because sure, yeah. you just walked out the door, so you don't belong, so to speak, with the folks that are working in the station. Yeah, interesting. And but you're not one of the old retired guys where you're talking about the good old days because the good old days were last, you know, last week. <laughs> you know, so, right. so it was like for it took me about six months to really kind of get settled into that mindset of being retired yeah this so is actually was, real yeah. yeah it was kind of it was a i guess if you were somebody who was looking to leave and you just wanted to get out it'd be different yeah. walking away where you know i really love the job and still yeah. enjoy doing it when you leave that that was that transition it took a little Total time to to mentally get in the mindset of sure. being retired and <laughs> yeah. So I remember you were also very dedicated to the idea of leaving on a good note. Yes, because so many, not so many, but there are definitely a certain uh, type of person that they they'll leave and it's on maybe bad terms. That there's a lot of naysaying, and for whatever that situation, whatever that situation may have been to them. It could have been very personal, but for you, you said, I want to leave on a love in this job and not be disgruntled. And I'm paraphrasing here, but I remember I really appreciated that sentiment of, of loving the job on the way out the door still and yeah. feeling passionate about it. It, uh, it, it, that came and I think I mentioned it came from uh, captain Laura years ago when he retired and I asked mm-hmm. him why he retired when he did. And he said, because I still love the job. Yeah. Um, and I, I carried that with me. Um, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I really don't want to leave so that when people come up to me and ask me, hey, something about the fire, I'm going to go, man, that's terrible. They do this, this. I wanted to walk out and go, man, that's the greatest job in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does make it hard to walk out on your last day because <laughs> you, sure. it's yeah, it's like leaving the carnival before they close. At the, yeah. You know, just, yeah. So. How many years was it total? 40 and two months. 40 and two months. Yeah. Wow. Four, I'm not even 40 years old yet, you know, and you spent that much time in the fire service. And is that, were you a volunteer before that as yeah, well? Yeah, I started volunteering in 78. Wow. So, so you had. Add another four years to that. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. Um, and, you know, we're going to hit this one incident specifically. We're going to, you know, really tie into that. You did your four years of volunteer time and then you were hired in what, 82, 83? 82. 82. Um, just a quick snapshot of just differences. I remember when you were talking about, uh, one of your incidents, you know, guys are still using elephant trunk BAs. You know, I think when I went through fire one, there were some of the companies that, uh, some of the volunteers that I was going through fire one with when I started volunteering and there was one or two that had 
the old elephant trunk still in the early 2000s. Um, but I mean, you know, what are, I mean, what are some of those things that stick out to you? I mean, that's four decades worth of change. Uh, BA changes, uh, as you mentioned, um, interestingly enough, one of the things that kind of COVID reminded me of was, uh, going on calls and people getting used to wearing masks on a call. Yeah. Uh, you know, the N95s, mm. uh, reminded me of back when we started in the, about 85, when we had to start wearing gloves, which everybody wears gloves on a medical call now, but yeah. actually before <clears throat> 85, we didn't wear gloves on medical calls. You wore them on OB calls. The Most of the gloves were in the OB kits. We didn't have boxes of gloves all over the ambulance. That was the only time. Um, so wow. it was getting folks to remember to put gloves on. Yeah. And that was because of the, the AIDS um, epidemic starting. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so that was a... That was kind of a big change, and it reminded me of back of that when I, people were like, "Oh yeah, I got to remember to put a mask on. We're going in," and yeah. it was the same kind of thing of, "Oh, got to remember to put gloves on." You yeah. know, people reminded. So, uh, yeah, but those yeah. kind of things. Some of them are little, you know, uh, the change in um, uh, defibrillators, and yeah. the uh, it, it was, was pretty incredible. We used to men in great batch, uh, which weighed about probably. 35 40 pounds big thing looked like a suitcase and now Jeez. they've got them you know aeds are small the yeah. even the uh the data scopes and everything is reduced in that uh firewise <laughs> the more things change the yeah. more they stay the same firewise was kind of interesting because being in that long you actually saw what looked like a wave and it would go up and down yeah, yeah you right. would see things uh tactics come into play which and i'll use uh, i'll use the, the transitional attack <laughs> as people call it everybody's got their own term yeah yeah um the when i first came in in 78 79 actually that that was what we were trained and there's actually if you look in the i've got a page uh, that somebody got a hold of copied out of one of the ista manuals that shows talks about the technique and that's what we used. You you would hit it, you know, hit it quick from the outside and go in. And then somewhere it transitioned around the 90s. It seemed to really make the final transition to everything's inside. You never put a line through a window for yeah. whatever reason uh, or through a door. You would always you had to go in first. And now we've gone back to what everybody thinks is new. Um, <laughs> right. But really, it's it's something that was 40 years ago. That's that was a process now. Mm -hmm. Today, it's, it's if you will, it's science-backed. Yes. Yeah. In the 70s, it was practical-backed. People realized, you know what, if we do a quick knock before we go in, it's easier on us when we go in. Yeah, right. Now the science is showing that, yeah, that's that's what you have, but now we're, we have the science to understand why yeah. that effect was taken. But it, So those, those types of things were kind of interesting, how we've gone... We, yeah, we sure. go back and forth, you know, and there's always the smooth board thing that's going to go back and forth, I'm sure, for the next century or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like Yankees and Red Sox. You got to got to right. draw your line in the sand and plant your flag. There you go. <laughs> um, so 1982, you're going, you get hired, you're going through the academy and you get assigned to where? Station 7. So you're right in downtown Columbia, yep. where Mother, Meriwether Post Pavilion is. Right. Um, companies back then, you were riding what two? Uh, Station Seven. 
uh, had three because we were the only county county station at the time. Oh, okay. So we had three on the engine um, or truck. We were what we call nowadays. We call it shared. Back then, we just whatever gets called first. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, first so, out the door. Right. So uh, we had an engine and a truck, um, and it was uh, minimum staffing was three on uh, for the fire crew and two on the ambulance. Okay. Uh, occasionally, we would have six people working, and so we would have a four-person uh, engine company or truck company, but uh, the minimum was three mm-hmm. at that station. There were stations, uh, Clarksville, a lot of the other outlying stations, the minimums were two on the engine and two on the ambulance. Gotcha. So you would have often have two-person engine companies. Yeah. And back then, you had more, we'll say volunteer presence, but also were there part-time People um, or like day work essentially. Uh, part time at some of the stations, but um, mo- but you would have more volunteer activity. Yeah, noticeable than the than the part time. <clears throat> yeah, and now we are looking at minimum staffing of four on all suppression, an ALS paramedic unit, a presence in every station. Right. We're at what fourteen stations with you know more slated on the way. So just over the course of that forty years, it's. You know, it's taken its changes yes. for sure. Yes. There's been growing pains and hurdles with that, but for sure. Um, now, dating question. You have a dispatch for a, is it a townhouse fire? Yeah, middle of the group townhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vantage Point Road, 5645, Vantage Point Road. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, and, and at that time, that was a three-engine, one-truck um, response. Oh, okay. If the... If the company had an ambulance in service at the time, not out on another call, they would respond. It wasn't specifically part of the assignment to have an ambulance. Okay. So um, on that day, uh, truck was out of service at seven, so it was the engine, and then uh, with three and myself and a volunteer medic on seventy-five. Okay, so you were on the ambo. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and you're, we're looking at what eighteen months in on the career side of things. At that Ish. time, no, six months. Oh, six months. I just graduated. Oh, actually, it's okay, six months yeah. out in the field. Okay. Yeah, I just graduated actually three weeks before that. Oh, so, wow. So, yeah, June 24th was our academy graduation, and this was July 20th. Wow, okay. 82. So you're so, fresh. Yes. You're very fresh. Okay. <clears throat> and Vantage Point, I mean, that's for seven. That's the first two. First two yes. fire. Yep. You know, older. Well, I mean, now to me, it's a little bit older, more of the original part of downtown Columbia. But back then, I mean, that was probably... Newer oh yeah, that construction, was right. Yeah, they were that was newer. They were built uh, probably. Uh, that part was probably built mid to late seventies, so they weren't that old. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and crews are going on scene, middle of the row. And middle of the group townhouse seventy uh, two was the first engine on the scene, <clears throat> and uh, uh, it was uh, two guys. Uh, excuse me, two two on the line going in. Uh, from the first engine uh, to the, uh, they went in, it was basement fire, and uh, we pulled in not long behind 72, uh, same time as what uh, 92 got on the scene. Okay. So, because I had a volunteer medic on the ambulance, uh, she stayed with the medic unit, and uh, the officer off 72 assigned me with a uh, volunteer off of 92. Okay. So, um, I don't know how far you want me to step through this. Or oh, man. You, just roll. You can start piecing this okay. apart. Like Interrupt a senior. me if you got a question. Yeah, please. Yeah, All right. Okay, roll that with works. It. Uh, so, 
72's crew goes in uh, to go in the front door, and they go down to the basement interior stairs uh, along the Bravo side. The doors on the Bravo side of the, the townhouse. They run go down those stairs. wasn't We weren't far behind them. Uh, we were assigned myself and uh, Mike McKeever, who was the off of ninety two. We were assigned to go to the second floor, um, search and ventilate. So we went to the uh, Bravo, again, same sta- same side stairs, go up to Bravo side over top of the basement stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, went up to the second floor, and uh, at the, as we got in, we did uh, did the first room at the top of the stairs. We were heading down toward the, uh, the Delta side, and we went to the rear room on that side and started searching that room. Uh, unbeknownst to us, there actually was a crew that had been assigned to the second floor on the Alpha side. Okay. So we didn't know then that uh, that they were there. Uh, for for those who are not familiar, forty years ago, uh, there was one portable radio on each piece, and the officer would have that. So our officer okay. is outside because he's the incident commander. Um, he was outside with the radio, so none of the people inside the building none of the crews inside the building have radios uh, okay, so that wow. that'll that'll help people understand some of this uh for sure some of this that so we get to the second floor so we don't know that there's a crew now at some point came in behind us and went to the alpha side rooms on okay. the uh, second floor they uh we go we did the first room at the top of the stairs go to the uh toward the delta side so we're back in quadrant uh three search in a room and back then again no radios the way you determine when you're going to ventilate is you kind of did the old count on your fingers thing one one thousand you know do you think that they've got a line on the fire that we can open the windows that's that's how it was done unless there was someone outside excuse me who could give you some verbal indication okay um which there wasn't so, so even at that time, though, you are still loosely coordinating ventilation. It's not the yes. smash as you search type mentality. No, not, and I won't say that that wasn't done. Yeah. Still in the fire service and still in Harry County. Um, our officer was more strict on that kind of thing. It was mm-hmm. uh, uh, retired Chief Frank. Gotcha. More more strict on orderly operations. Okay. Um, so we did we did calculate when we would ventilate okay. and wouldn't just take out windows just to take out windows. Yeah. Okay, that's neat. Um, again, one of those things that's it's kind of like it evolved. It, yeah. it actually did exist at one time, just not not universally. Sure. So uh, so we get back in there <clears throat> when we got into the uh, the quadrant three uh, room. Uh, and also uh, back up here a second. The lady is a uh, collector, or as we like to <laughs> like to say, instead of saying hoarding, but <laughs> she uh, collected a lot of stuff. Gotcha. And uh, so the there was a lot of obstructions and things in the room, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff packed in there. So we get in there. As we got in the room and we're searching the room, <clears throat> excuse me, noticed that the the heat was going up. Uh, when we went up the stairs and got down the hallway, it was it was warm. Uh, I mean, just not even uncomfortably warm. It was just warm, light warm. Yeah. So when we got back in that last room and we started searching, noticed it going up a little bit. We did our kind of, you know, okay, I think they got the line on the fire now. We took out the window. When we took out the window on the rear of the building, within seconds, the heat went from 
from warm to hot. Uh, I mean, in no time at all, mm-hmm. just in seconds. Um, and I was like, something's not right. So went back, uh, uh, I told, uh, my partner, uh, said when he got to the window, I said, see if you can get somebody's attention. I said, it, it's getting hot in here. We, we're going to need a ladder out here. I don't think we're going to make it back. Let me go check. So he goes, he, I left him at the window. I went back to the doorway. When I got to the doorway and looked down the hallway, it was just orange. There was oh, wow. no defined flames or anything. It was just all just just orange. Blow torch. Um, so uh, I tried to close the door, and because she's a hoarder, she had stuff everywhere, mm. um, and it was blocking the door. And I worked on the door and worked on the door, and I just couldn't get the door closed. And uh, kind of along the same lines of the you know vent under search now uh, and isolate. Uh, back then, you know, I was. I was doing that for protection, not not because we had come in, you know, windows yeah, right, on. Right. So couldn't get worked on the door, couldn't get the door shut. I go back to the window. <clears throat> excuse me. When I get back to the window, um, Mike's gone, mm. and I don't know where he is. So uh, also add in another tidbit: the the townhouse is two stories from the front, three stories from the rear. Uh, we did not know that. Um, talk about 360s later on, but yeah. we didn't know that we nobody had done a 360 building. We didn't know that it was three stories to the rear, um, two to the front. We also did not know that there was a deck on level one, which would have been one below us. Um, so to us, once once the realization that we are three stories up uh, comes to us, we don't know that there's an intermediate level that we could get to, uh, you know, hang and drop from the window, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, I don't want to spoil the rest. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, where it sort of fit in. Go ahead. So you said, well, I guess hindsight being what it is, it was a basement fire, but you did not know at the time it was in the basement? Or we, did the crews know we it was did. in the basement? We did. The crew went down the basement. And actually, okay. um, uh, so um, I told you about our side of it when the heat started going. Yeah. At the approximate same time that we opened the window, and this is part of the investigation, the, the fire investigation, at the approximate same time that we opened the window, the fire had been burning. Again, she had a lot of stuff in the basement. Mm-hmm. It had been burning underneath of the kitchen floor. So three things came together. At the time that the crew that went to the basement hit the fire, the fire burned through the kitchen floor. It was just about ready to go, and mm-hmm. it went through the floor just as they went to hit the fire. That was also approximately the same time we were opening the window. And then their line burned through at the top of the stairs. Oh, wow. Uh, so they lost water. So now we we kind of gave the fire just a little bit of a push. It burned through the kitchen floor. They lost water so they can continue the, the fire extinguishment. So now you had the fire uncontrolled, and we just created a chimney. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and as was referred back then, the chimney effect. Yeah. Uh, now we refer to it as a flow path. Uh, same thing. Uh, but in some respects, I think when I refer to it as a chimney effect, which we did back then, it gives a better picture, too, to For people sure. as to where you are in this thing. Uh, we were in the chimney. Yeah. And uh, so. Uh, so you were on the second floor so, and you uh, said Mike was. So Mike's Mike. at the window. So I, I tried to close the door to cut it off. Uh, couldn't get the door closed. Go back to the window um, and. 
How long I was at the door trying to work on that, I don't know. Apparently long enough for somebody to come around the back of the building. Uh, Chief Heller was actually the first one to notice um, us, uh, notice Mike, um, signaling out the, the second floor window, and he yelled for them to bring a ladder around back. In the time that I was working that door, um, they had gotten a ladder around back, excuse me, and gotten it up on the deck. There was no stairs to the deck. Um, that's another point I'll touch on about yeah. being prepared with ladders is uh, uh, Howard Massey, great job. He, he had brought, and I don't know if it was by luck or by, by uh, conscious decision, but he brought a roof ladder. So he threw that to the balcony or to the, to the deck, climbed it, pulled it up, and threw it a second time to the second floor. Okay. Um, so Mike had gone out. As soon as the, the ladder hit, Mike had gone out. When I got to the window, Mike's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Mike went out or if Mike, because they threw the ladder, was coming back into the room to tell me, hey, the ladder's there. Yeah. So um, I went to the window. Uh, two things uh, to give you a visual of this without having the ability to show a picture. Yeah. There's smoke coming out of the window, heavy smoke coming out of the window that we're in. Mm-hmm. There's also smoke coming out of the slider on the first floor. Yeah. On the deck below us. So when you look down, you, you can't see anything looking down. There's there's the obstruction of the smoke. So we couldn't mm-hmm. tell that there was a deck there. Um, the realization that there was a deck there was when the ladder was thrown. Okay. And seeing the hooks on the ladder, I'm realizing it didn't make it from the ground here. That was the realization that there's there's a deck. But the other thing that this... Uh, sorry, it's, it's it's amazing to me, though, that in that moment, you had the realization and the mindset to be able to identify that, though. It's, you know, it's interesting. It's almost interesting when you when things that you don't think would jump out to you. Yeah, that stuck in my mind. I saw hooks. Yeah. And it, it's just one of those things, for whatever reason, that stuck in my mind that there's hooks on this ladder and I'm and I'm on the second floor. Yeah. Why? You know, I, if, I'd love to tell you it was a conscious <laughs> it was a conscious thought. Yeah. But it just jumped in my mind. There's hooks. And I'm on the second floor. It, it can't make it here. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so, um, oh, so the other thing that the smoke also had a problem with, I normally wear glasses, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> nobody else can. You can see that I wear glasses. <laughs> so back then we didn't have inserts in our face pieces. So my vision is somewhat limited. I'm not a blind person, but two stories down, uh, three stories down to the ground, everybody's just a blur. So I can't yeah. tell if Mike's one of the people on the ground or not. Mm. So I'm calling out, you know, where's Mike? And everybody's motioning to me with their hands and yelling, come down, come down. And I'm asking, where's Mike? Of course, I have BA on, so they're not hearing anything. Yeah. They're just seeing a guy at yeah. a window. Right. So uh, so I, the, the answer I needed to hear, I didn't get. Sure. And so my thought was Mike's still inside. And I'm not going to leave Mike. So I went back through the room, uh, did a search of the room, and I don't know how long it took me. I was climbing over all kinds of stuff. It was it was a mess. So it probably took me a little bit. Yeah. I came back to the window. Same thing. Same question. Where's Mike? And I get the same response. Just come down, come down. Nobody's telling me anything. And I was like, that's not the answer I need to hear. I need to know where Mike is. So I wasn't going to leave Mike up there. Went through a second time, same thing, same response. And then I went a third time. And on the third time going through there, um, I was definitely moving slower. I knew I was getting burned. 
Um, I made it through the room. I got back to the window and same question. But when I got the answer, it was one of those ones where, you know, I sat there for a couple seconds and uh, and just thought, can can I make it another time? And I honestly didn't believe I would survive going through that room one more time. I I, I, I knew I was burned. I could tell from the from the feel that I was burned bad. I didn't know how bad at the time. OK, um, but I knew I was burned bad. My um, breathing apparatus at this point, the shoulder straps had burned through um, and it was hanging down by from the waist strap. Um, so there was a lot of indications to me of how hot this was sure. in the room. And, uh, so I felt I'd given it the best effort I could. And so I decided to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will point out, uh, is when you practice bailouts, you got to practice unconventional means of bailing out. Uh, I told you it was a roof ladder thrown to the second floor. Well, a 14-foot roof ladder overshoots the window. So the wind, the ladder was actually to the left of the window and above the window. Mm. So the ability to get out and get on the ladder wasn't... I actually really didn't give it that a thought. I just looked at the ladder and went... Uh, and I just reached out and I went down the ladder hand over hand on the backside of the ladder. Okay. Um, because I, it, to me, that was just the quickest and easiest way to get out and down the ladder. Um, I would encourage folks to... To practice that <laughs> um, because that's a very realistic scenario in my mind after having been through it that everything isn't the exact same length as our ladders and sometimes they're going to overshoot sometimes they're going to undershoot just as important as being able to get to a ladder that's a foot below the window which i don't know how many people practice that but that's something worthwhile too yeah um is getting to a ladder that's above the window um so so i came down the ladder hand over hand get down to the deck um Went down the second ladder, normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, conventional. Right. And uh, got down to the ground. When I got to the ground, that's when I found out that Mike was down. Okay. Um, so that was, a, that was a big load off of me because that was wearing on me that, you know, sure. I left him. I, I, I didn't feel like I abandoned him, but I did. I just, you just never want to leave your partner behind. Yeah. Um, so uh, I got down to the ground. That was a big relief to find out that he had made it out. Um, I, I I also insert. I've, I've had people ask me, well, "Were you angry at you, Adam, that he that he left as soon as he got there?" And I, and I said, "No." A uh, couple reasons. One, that that was actually his first working fire that mm-hmm. he'd ever been on. Um, so there's just that in addition to the conditions that we're in, uh, as well. In order for him, just like I, I mentioned, that people couldn't hear me because I had BA on. He realized nobody could hear him. Yeah. And so he popped his BA up. Uh, so that he could yell and they could hear him. Um, the positive side was they now knew what was going on and they needed help. He was in trouble. But the downside was he also inhaled uh, some superheated gases mm. uh, and had some uh, tracheal burns and things. He was tubed for, for a while when we were in the hospital together. Oh, wow. Um, so, so he was going through some issues, yeah. too. It wasn't like he could have just pop this face piece back on and go on and found me in the, in the building. So, um, so no, I had, I had no, yeah, sure. no concerns. He, he did what he needed to do at the time. And if I put myself, which I think is very important that we <clears throat> need to understand, um, is we always have to make sure that we view what a person's actions are mm-hmm. through their level of experience yeah. and not through ours. Um, so, and I, I, I used to have to tell myself that all through, uh, my years in the department, um, when I get a rookie on the shift or something like that, is I, 
I can't expect them to know what I know because I've been here 40 years. I'm, yeah. th- I need to recognize that and help them yeah. understand. So I appreciate that. Um, so getting back on track there. So get down. Um, in the meantime, the, the crew on the Alpha side had bailed out um, the front into a bunch of bushes. So they only had one floor to go and they had some soft landing areas. <laughs> so, uh, but they bailed out the front. Um, and uh, the crew in the basement had exited out a slider in the basement, um, which I'll touch on later about yeah. access to basement fires a little bit, some of the things that we changed in the department yeah. um, after that. But uh, So they were able to go out the uh, out the rear uh, side, Charlie, to get out of the basement. And uh, so operationally, that that would cover your operations side of the May Day, yeah, if you okay. will. Um, one of the things kind of interesting, you know, people like to say we didn't have radios. Uh, and it's interesting. I, I got into a conversation one day related to that. People were asking about, you know, why would people, firefighters throw helmets out the window? And you have to understand the reason they did that um, was if you saw a helmet on the ground, you knew somebody above you was in trouble because back then they didn't have radios. That was a signal that a firefighter was in trouble. Yeah. Back before radios. So Yeah, the the, uh, the culture surrounding May Day was probably entirely different. Yeah, we know? didn't actually May Day wasn't even a term in the fire service. Oh okay. Back then. So I mean, you would yeah. just you were just in trouble. Emergency, you know. Yeah. Uh man down, those kind of things. We didn't use the term May Day uh, back then. So this was a, a May Day before there were May Days, yeah. May Days. Uh there was no May Day policy. There was no um, you know, how you handle that. It was if somebody's in trouble you handled it like any other rescue. Yeah. Um, you're either with an officer that might have that one radio. And if you're not with that person, you're yelling to another person, face-to-face communications are out the window, or that's where the helmet comes into place. You're throwing the window or throwing the helmet out the window. Correct. These are your methods at the time to signify that there's some type of emergency going on. Yes. Yeah. That's, it's interesting to try to have somebody in the current generation or in the recruit academies that like you help teach, to wrap their mind around that because that's like that's not a thing anymore you know i right. sure radio <clears throat> systems can go down like you can default back to some of these but to say like that's the that's how you communicated those emergencies is so far removed from what people know now oh yeah yeah that's amazing yeah it's um and and it's a good thing i hope that the folks today continue to advance so that 40 years from now People are looking back on you did what just because you had an emergency button on a radio. There's going to be some other means, yeah, right, you know, right. What, whatever it may be. Um, but it's important to understand that, um, if nothing else, to also understand that some of those, while they might not be your primary method, if your radio goes totally out, mm-hmm. you've got no other means of communication. You need your BA to breathe and not thinking. Wait a minute. You know, this old technique from back in, you know, that they started way before I was ever born. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, that is another means. So it's, you don't want to forget those far gone basics because that might be you going, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I remember some guy telling me, you know, toss my helmet out and yeah. somebody come along and see a helmet, you know. That's, that's not normal. That should be a right. red flag. So, yeah. um, again, wouldn't use it as my first choice. Still want to keep all my gear with me. Yeah. But understanding some of those, if you lose some of your other capabilities, they are still there. Yeah. Um, and sure. making people be aware of, of what this means as opposed to, ah, oh, 
there's somebody's home and off a seven, I'll just go take that and throw it on the engine. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Dig into so, that. Right. See what's going on there. So, uh, so you've made it on, so you've made it down to the ground. You're conscious. I guess let's get into some of the more, uh, I guess, medical side for lack sure. of better words of it. Um, so uh, I'll tell you a little humorous uh, story. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of that at the beginning is my uh, uh, my partner on the ambulance when I yeah. responded. Uh, a really good medic, uh, very good medic. Uh, she's looking around because she heard there's firefighters heard around back, and she's running around. Where's Wiseman? Where the hell's oh, Wiseman? I need my, I need my driver. <laughs> we got to we got to get around back. We 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 got injured firefighters around back. Yeah. She gets around back and she goes. Oh, there you are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and the she said, firefighter. "You know, you're driving the ambulance." <laughs> so she 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 had a uh, she had a really good sense of humor. We'd known each other for a little while, yeah. and uh, she was uh, she was kind of uh, I don't want to say hard, but she was she just she had that grit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was it was pretty neat. She actually <laughs> uh, after that she used to start calling me crispy. Oh, um, <laughs> so other people are like what and i'm like no man I, I understand you know we were on that incident together and we were through all that together and yeah. to us that was just that's cool that was a, yeah that was a little joke so uh but yeah so she was looking for me where the hell am i and uh i'm the, the i'm the one of the ones around back that needed the ambulance so. yeah right right uh, so uh so yeah so we're um we're around back um they um Myself and, uh, well, Mike had about, I think he was around 20% second and third degree burns plus uh, respiratory burns. Um, I was uh, 30% second and third degree burns. Mm. Um, Excuse me. My hands were degloved. My fingers were degloved. Um, The... they took us both to Harry County General. Mm. We were there for a while. Another somewhat humorous component was uh, we're getting ready to get flown out. We've been there for for a while now, at least at least twenty minutes because it takes that long for a helicopter to get there. So we've probably been there twenty thirty minutes at least. And uh, I hear them talking about flying us out and taking us to the burn center, which I figured that was going to be the case. And uh, so now we're. They're getting ready to take us out to the landing uh, landing pad, and, and uh, says, uh, "Okay, we're going to take you." I said, "Question." And uh, actually, one of uh, Kevin Aftong, who worked for the fire department at the time, also worked part time at the hospital. Okay. So, so I asked him, "Say, hey, Kevin, do I get any pain medicine?" He said, <laughs> "I said." He's like, "Oh, well, you weren't complaining about anything," and he said, "So yeah, I guess it got <laughs> overlooked." I'm like. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind having a little I've bit. I've heard a little bit right now, yeah. <laughs> so uh, he's like, oh, okay. So that was kind of, you know, I was almost got flown out and they didn't even give any thoughts. So Man, if you want pain meds, complain a little bit. If you, <laughs> if you try to buckle it under and don't say anything, then they just don't they give you anything. Right. <laughs> and you think 20 minutes at least now post-incident, that adrenaline's wearing off. Yeah. So I'm sure that pain's setting in pretty yes. good now. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I heard, and I, I knew they were, most of their efforts were, dealing with Mike. Because okay. um, the tracheal burns. Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know to the extent uh, of that. I just knew that uh, I could hear him um, uh, yelling some, and I could hear him. Uh, uh, I think at some point they might uh, I might have heard somebody say that they were uh, they were tubing him. I couldn't can't remember. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, there was something that they either said or things going on. I knew that there was a lot of attention. Yeah. going to his room so um 
so then, uh, uh, so they flew us out uh, from Howard um, after uh, just their basic uh, burn treatment at Howard. Went to, flew us out. Uh, again, it wasn't the nice uh, A139, I think it is, that they run now. <clears throat> it was a Belljet Ranger. Uh, if anybody wants to look that up on Google that on the internet so they can see what kind of <laughs> helicopter that is. Uh, they stack you on a rack, one over top of the other on backboards. There's no treatment provided when you're going in a, in a Belljet Ranger. There's only enough room for the other person to sit next to you, but they they can't provide any treatment. It's it's tight. Wow. Um, you're just you're just getting a ride. Yes. So and the other and the other backboard is about six inches off of your nose. So I was mm. on the bottom. Mike was over top of me, um, and so you're 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 like six inches wow. from nose to yeah. the back of the bottom of the other backboard. Um, and uh, another another humorous part there was we're going in there the uh, the uh, medic on a helicopter is telling us the landmarks as we fly over the city. Oh wow! Uh, so he says that little blue light down there that's the aquarium. I wear glasses. My glasses I didn't have them. Yeah right right. <laughs> They're back in the ambulance. Um, so uh, so I'm going. I'm just going. Yeah okay. If you say so. Yeah right I, right. I really couldn't see it, but thanks for appreciate it. <laughs> I do appreciate the uh, the, tour. the tour. So uh, so we um, flew into the burn center, which is. Um, it's actually in a different building, same campus, uh, what we now refer to as Bayview. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be called, referred to Baltimore City Hospital Center, and it was the Baltimore Regional Burn Center. Okay. Um, it was, uh, uh, so we flew in there. Um, I'm not sure if they always do it or not, but the other thing that I, I always remembered was when they went to land, it felt like we hit a brick wall. I think he basically came in and turned the helicopter 180 before he went on the helipad mm. and i guess we just do that very quick it felt like <laughs> felt like we hit a brick wall but uh so uh get to the burn center take us in i guess we got there and i'm just ballparking this it seemed like we did we got to the burn center maybe around 9 30 um it was mm. i just remember it was late it's summertime so it was already dark when okay. we got there yeah so a lot of that time factor and how long we were at the hospital, how long it took us to get there and that kind of thing. I'm not sure. I just know it was it was late when we got to the burn center, uh, relatively speaking. And uh, got to the burn center, and they they go through their entire routine of taking off everything that they put on at Howard. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, you do... Uh, and you can jump in here anytime you want to, or tell cut me off. When you, yeah, no, please uh, do, yeah, keep driving. Uh, they um, they do debriding, um, <clears throat> and as I've told everybody, if uh, getting burned is the easy part, yeah, the treatment is the tougher part. Yeah. Um, when they do the debriding, um, they're actually taking off the old um, the the burned skin, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they do that, cover you up with silvadine. Um, which is the greatest thing in the world. Okay. Uh, it's this uh, uh, cream that has a, a silver content to it as well, mm-hmm. um, prevents infection, and it covers everything. When they put that on, the nicest thing about that is it it uh, it protects all the nerve endings from the atmosphere and everything. Okay. So that's why I say it's the greatest thing in the world, because when they put that on and wrap the bandages on, it's like, okay, I feel normal again. I'm going to go home now. Uh, oh, wow. You know, it, yeah. I mean, it really, it, 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 made, it makes a big difference once you get everything mm-hmm covered back up with a silver dean and wrapped and uh got to our room i don't know what time that was it was really late um 
we get into our room. Uh, they put us together in the same room, uh, which was nice. Um, the uh, uh, and then uh, I guess the the next notable thing, or oh, I had one humor thing in here. Things you don't see nowadays. Uh, so my parents, my parents are at the hospital um, at the burn center, and uh, when they were getting ready to leave that night, uh, they actually put the backboards in the back of their station wagon and dropped them back off at station seven. Oh, um, so, uh, we didn't have the, uh, I guess the mail run person, whoever does it makes the hospital runs, picks yeah. up, they did that. That didn't Your happen. They didn't have that. Back back so they, you know, my dad's like, Hey, we'll take them back to the firehouse for you. So, <laughs> so uh, that was kind of, kind of funny. There's actually even a note in the log book. Uh, I've got copies of the pages out of log book and there's actually a note in the log book. And I forget what time it was. It was like 1230 or one o'clock in the morning. Something that says, uh, 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 either Wiseman's parents or Mr. Wiseman or something, uh, yeah. returned backboard to fire station. So <laughs> wow. uh, that was kind of funny. Yeah. So, uh, and you're getting, you don't get debrided once, right? This no, that's every multi- day, every day, every morning. Ugh. So, um, and that went on for, um, I guess it was two weeks, close to two weeks. Um, until I had, uh, so they did that, um, then I got skin grafts. So two weeks later, uh, yeah. So two weeks into, and part of that was extended because I got uh, they had us on uh, IV antibiotics. Okay. Um, and I w- I had a reaction to uh, to kef- or, um, nafcillin, which was the uh, antibiotic they had in the IV. Okay. So not a serious reaction. I just I just, I had a rash after a few days. I, I developed a rash. Well, they wouldn't do the uh, graphs while I had the rash. So sure. I had to wait for that to go away because oh, again, that's all, that's all, uh, you know, skin related Yeah. and they need the skin in the healthy state it can so that when they put the graphs on, um, so, uh, that got delayed a week. So, uh, they still, they did us both at the same time. Um, but that was, uh, best I recall, it was two weeks into it might've been a week and a half. But it was uh, so you go through debriding every day for a week and a half to two weeks. Okay. Um, the uh, back up on one more little humor moment. Uh, <laughs> the next, the first morning, uh, wake up and they bring breakfast into you, and she sets the tray in front of me, and she said, "Here's your breakfast." Well, my hands are totally bandaged, fingers individually, but they're all everything's bandaged up, and so. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do here? Got, you know? <laughs> and and she and she, some people think this is mean, but she really meant it uh, in a positive way. She said, yeah. uh, which got to really know the nurse as well. They they're they're awesome down there. Yeah. Uh, she said, she said you're burned, you're not crippled. Mm. And I said, huh? And she said, this is the start of your physical therapy. It's not just physical therapy sessions, you got to be able to function and, and do everything that you could do before. And this yeah. is day one, we're going to start getting you back that way. So she said, here, I'll help you out. And she, uh, she opened up the, the plastic wear that's in the little plastic baggie yeah, yeah. because, uh, with bandages on, um, and that would have been frustrating. Yeah. yeah I was like this <laughs> and nobody can see what I'm just trying. Your just fingers trying are just apart. slipping off of the yeah. <laughs> plastic bag. So, uh, she did open my plastic wear for me. Okay. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I learned how to open a, a milk container and juice container with, uh, with my bandages on and everything. And that's, oh, yeah. that's how you start your, 
your therapy to get back to uh it's those to little be things back though, to functional. Said, they said. want you to be moving and things like that so yeah. um healthy dose reality yes so they're, they're awesome but uh so getting back on track uh to uh, the um the other so uh the bridey week and a half into say a week and a half two weeks um we uh they did skin grafts um for my arms and my thighs um and one and one item too to to kind of let folks in on uh, turnout gear wise going back to the very beginning is uh we were, we wore three-quarter boots frequently not turnout pants um with three-quarter boots you have that opening at the top and for anybody who's so young that they don't know what three-quarter boots are uh think of fishing boots hip yeah. waders uh so you have a gap at the top that allows heat and the the environment to get into it so mm-hmm. that's kind of how i my my legs were burned were kind of in v patterns from the, oh, the uh gap. from like the hip down toward my knee oh, okay. um, is how that so from the heat coming in from the top of the the boot so skin grass arms and legs um they come back you get uh, they put you on a what they call a, a clinitron bed it has a lot of silicone beads in it and it's like on oh, it's an air bed but it also has these beads in it that are constantly going around to help stimulate the your uh, body surface so you don't get um, bed sores, things like oh, that. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, because you can't move around a whole lot when you have the grafts, and you can't have mm. pressure on the grafts or the grafts because they need blood flow coming to them. Yeah. And uh, I'm not even going to attempt to go into the science of this bed, <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's it's an air bed of sorts, but it's not like an air mattress yeah right. uh, the way it's designed it it there's no never any constant pressure okay. on any part of your body all the, so that the grafts can heal uh it's uh it's pretty neat if anybody's interested you'd have to look it up on the internet i can't yeah, yeah. i that's my that's my short that's explanation of, it, right? of how that works <laughs> um so they we're on clinitron beds you do that you once you get the grafts and they bandage them on <clears throat> then you can't then you can't do the things that you were doing before. They don't want you moving because the grafts, they're not stitched on. They're just, the, the grafts are simply laid Lay on the on, area yeah. and then bandaged over. And then they have to themselves um, adhere, bind and adhere yeah. to, the, um, to, the, to the underlying yeah. um, skin layers. So, uh, so you can't move your arms. They actually have it. So I couldn't bend my elbows, couldn't bend my arms. So people have to feed you for a little while. Man. So... Uh, Another another humor point. Uh, <laughs> r- retired uh, uh, Frank Rommel, who, who and I had come in as volunteers together. Um, he came into the hospital, and uh, him and Alan Conway, the two of the ones I remember uh, a lot, came in, and he would he's feeding me. So of course, the first day he comes in, he's got to be the fire department uh, funny guy, <laughs> as we always treat each other with the utmost respect and courtesy. Right, right. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, okay. Here, here comes the airplane. He said, "No, you got to make the airplane sound, or I'm not going to give you any food." <laughs> so yeah, so that was uh, uh, good that old Chief Rommel. Yeah, so yeah, so it, it keeps your spirits. And it's, I will say, um, without trying to go off track, it, it, I appreciated people that came in, yeah, and still talked to me and treated me just like we were sitting there having a conversation, yeah, and not, hey, how you doing? Are you okay? You know, that, that yeah. kind of real, that, that to me, I, I just, just talk to me, joke around with me. You know, if you want to ask me how I'm feeling, that's fine, but don't, 
don't make it seem like it's yeah. you know <clears throat> no, I, I, I appreciate I just, that yeah yeah i think all too often it's like uh we treat you like it's your it's a, it's a other it's a little bit of otherism right yeah like you're you're now different but you just, right. i'm the same guy i'm just a little beat up right now sure so just treat me like the same guy yep That's, and uh I, yeah i really appreciate that and uh yeah so i appreciated that they did that and yeah. you know they they didn't treat me any different than they would have if I'd been there, you know, been yeah. at the station. So yeah, uh, that was that was good. Um, so, yeah, so uh, go through the, the grafting process. Um, after about, I want to ball, I'm ballparking this, I'd say after about a week, maybe probably after a week and a half, then they, um, after a week, they rebandage you. Um, okay. So you stay in the bandage that they put on you that initial time. They don't, they don't mess with anything for a week. Um, and uh, uh, they have to keep them damp, which is pro- or moist, which probably the the that was probably one of the other than the debriding. That's definitely the most uncomfortable. Yeah. The uh, is you actually they put a heat shield over top of your bed to protect heat onto you because your arms and my legs were always damp because the bandages are moist. Oh, okay. And uh, if you've ever sat around on a wet T-shirt, you can be in the warmest room there is, and you're still going to feel chilly because of that, the evaporation aspect yeah, and the, and the temperature. So, so they put a heat shield over you. That, that was the part that, if you will, was uncomfortable because you always just felt cool. So for a week, you kind of always felt chilly. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're just not, this whole process, you're not comfortable. No. <laughs> there's no, there's no. no part of this where you're like, no, I feel really not. good right now. Yeah. So... Uh, so after about a week, they um, they take those dressings off and they put new dressings on, um, and then you're allowed to bend your arms and, and do some things okay. uh, at that point. Um, and then uh, you know it's uh, so two weeks after the grafts was when they they do an evaluation. We were allowed to be released uh, to go home, and uh, then uh, they and they also fit you uh, for what they call jobst sleeves j-o-b-s-t mm. um they're like really tight pantyhose that's like the, yeah, the compression sleeves <laughs> yes compression yeah. sleeves um and they put them on that keeps the pressure on the grafts so that they don't and the burns so that they don't uh heal upward because actually once you get burned your skin actually heals faster than the surrounding skin can accept it so uh, what happens that's where if you see people who have had burns and it's kind of mounded up yeah that's because that's what the Job's garment prevents or attempts to prevent. Um, okay. So that it keeps the pressure on it so that it doesn't mound up as a scar and it, it, it heals outward. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So, and, uh, so they give you, um, and you get a new pair of them about every two weeks because over time they, they stretch out. So yeah. you, um, so you wear them and you wear them for, um, I wore them probably, Probably a year. Yeah. Um, so that's not a short-term thing no. either. You get used to them after a while. It's just, you know. It's another layer uh, of clothes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it actually, actually when I stopped wearing them, my clothes felt odd because that's the first time in a year my clothes had actually been moving Against on my skin. skin. Wow. And it, it's kind of, it, you know, it's just that sensation of, you, know, you just were consciously aware of your clothing, which was yeah, really, sure. really, really strange. Um, so you wear them for a year. Um and uh, limit limit sun exposure uh, for a year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the jobs help prevent that. But the sun yeah. exposure, the ultraviolet uh, exposure, and 
then I guess it was a year. It was, that was July. So just about a year. I think I came back to work full duty in, in June of the following year. Um, and in order to do that, again, some of these things, we didn't have evaluation processes in place back then. So um, the doctor said, okay, after about a year, should be, you know, uh, um, heat resistance should be normal to what the other skin, okay. the other skin is. So that's what the, so when they approved uh, me to go back, I guess you would say from a medical aspect, yeah. then, uh, so I had to go to a house burning um, and, and run through a house burning, uh, which we did with real houses. I say, like, it's funny, <laughs> and yeah. burned, we burned real houses back then. Um, and uh, for anybody who, who knows Chief Freeze, Chief Freeze was the one overseeing it. They mm. happened to have, uh, to my benefit, there happened to be around that same time, there was a, a basic fire class, uh, which is what we called Fire 1 and Fire 2 back then. Mm. And uh, Chief Freeze was the instructor. And so, uh, so I went to that uh, house burning. Um, and, uh, I'll just say Chief Freeze built some really good fires. <laughs> he was notorious. People knew him, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, so, uh, so I went, went through, uh, a normal operational run, uh, twice, um, of, you know, go find the fire, put it out, that kind of thing. And then, uh, uh, and part of that was, part of that was, it was two part. One part is, which I always, uh, figured the first part is how I, I look at it is the first part was the mental aspect. Yeah. Of can you go in, find a fire, you know, be in a smoky atmosphere, find a fire, do your job, put it out mentally. Are you yeah, okay to do that? Sure. Um, and then after I ran that twice and he said, how you feeling? I said, yeah, I'm feeling good. And he said, okay, well then you know, the rest of the day, just stay in here and stoke fires with me. So it was kind of like the first part, uh, as I as I look at it, the first part was the mental aspect of can you go in and do it? Yeah. And then the second part was <clears throat> can you withstand the heat? Um, environment and part of that is also mental. When it starts getting warmer, you're going to go, eh, okay, this is warm. weird. Yeah. Um, so uh, the one thing I will say, and I don't recommend going out and anybody to go out and get burned to find this out. But if there's one benefit from getting burned, to me was I. And some people think this sounds odd when I say it. I know how hot hot is now. Yeah. And yeah. and I know where that limit is where I can say. I've felt this before. I know what level I'm at and where we are. And yeah. we either need to, you know, no, we're not, we're not going any further than this. We're, we're backing out or, um, I don't recommend anybody finding out that way. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, but that was, if there was one benefit to the getting yeah. burned is I, I had that thermometer now sure. ingrained in me that I knew what it felt like at different points that I would know this is this is a cutoff point yeah absolutely so uh um so yeah so we went through the house burning and did the um that was my evaluation as to whether or not i was okay to go back on the job um chief free said yeah at the end of the day he said you good i said i'm good he says i'm fine with the way you you know work today so i guess like a week later You're back i was on the back floor. in the field after so, a year essentially of rehab and Yep. Work on that. Wow. And how yeah. long were you in the actual burn unit itself? For a month. One month. Yeah. yeah. So one month in the burn unit and then another 11 months essentially of healing going through that and then you're back on the floor. Yep. And then once back on the floor, um, any, when that first box alarm, 
or working fire drops, was there any apprehension or did you feel after going through the training where like, no, nah, I, I feel like I'm back in the saddle. No, I felt, um, not, not that I, not that I remember. Mm-hmm. I think, excuse me. I think, and I think a big part of it, as much as it may have seemed non-scientific as far as the way they went about it, I think the way my process of being evaluated to come back in, I think helped me because the first time we got a call actually wasn't the first time. That time that she freeze, you know, yeah, yeah. did that. Um, and and I'll, I'll qualify that, that it wasn't just going to, when he would run fires, you would do it as you would respond to a fire. So yeah, yeah. they would set it. You'd go down the street on the engine and sit and wait on the engine, come down. So the entire process was was run through as if it were an yeah, incident. It kept those and I think possible. that probably that, that probably was, you know, I never consciously gave that credit for that. I never really thought about, um, you know, why did I, why was I fine when I went into the next yeah. working fire? But looking back, it probably is attributed to what the department at that time yeah. um, used as an evaluation method because you were able to to run through an incident, so to speak. Sure, kept it as real as possible. Right. And it's probably those, <clears throat> those soft data points that you weren't even realizing, you know, subconsciously working, made it as real as possible. You right. made it as normal as possible. Yeah. And yeah, you got back in the saddle a lot cleaner. So yeah. the, um, the, you know, and, and I guess one of the questions I've, I've had people ask me, have you ever had, have you ever had, did it, did it, bother you or i think actually it was the last academy class uh this this previous one just a, a month ago when i was mm-hmm. talking to the class uh about maydays they um one of them asked me did you have any lingering psychological you know problems or anything with that and and i really uh i, I never really did and i think and this is this is not me speaking this is the the doctor from the burn center and i don't know if he's even qualified to make the judgment but <laughs> his his uh his position on was that when cuz he and i would talk a lot he's a pretty cool guy mm-hmm. and he he'd ask about the call and and after it's done he said you know what everything you've told me you worked through that entire incident through the entire event mm-hmm. you continued to work to either affect rescue on your partner or affect your own survival yeah and he said and that's probably why because if you had sat down in a corner somewhere and just given up and said uh and that's what you had done he said then it probably would have but the fact that you were consciously uh working um the whole time you were thinking about how do i how do i get out of this situation and you were working through it and not allowing something to take you over yeah. Um, he that that was his opinion as yeah. to why, and, and it seems to make sense to me. Yeah. I'm in no way am I a psychologist, <laughs> psychiatrist, or anybody. Yeah. No, I really, I really <laughs> like that though. Um, I feel like there's validation there, and I've I've heard that from other people. Like there's there's not really a question as to whether or not you had the medal. You know, you you handled it a, a really incredible situation. <clears throat> Multiple firefighters jumping out of windows. You knew that you can sleep soundly at night knowing that you're not leaving your partner behind. You made three more checks in a room that you couldn't control the door in, you know, advanced fire conditions. So your emotional mindset and the tactical acumen was validated. Even for a guy that had, you know, five years to include volunteer time, but and only three weeks on the professional side, you know, um, yeah, there's validation there. So I think that does help you rest a little bit easier at night. I think that's really important. 
Yeah. Know? So, um, and if that's that's the case, and that's what it was, it's that's great. I would. Yeah. It, it. I always kept that um, as a as something I would I would look back on, both for me and also teaching other other people. You yeah. know, whether it just be on shift training or something like that is is always being there, being prepared to work through the problem yeah um and know your options and pull on those things that you learn because uh you know the old saying you'll rise to the occasion and that's actually not true you'll mm-hmm. fall back on whatever level of training and knowledge that you have retained the basics yeah. um you're not going to pull something out of the out of the hat yeah. um you know the, i won't say that isn't the one rare person that pulls something out of a hat yeah, yeah but generally speaking in survival situations you don't pull something out of the hat you're you're using your your yeah. database Exactly. Of knowledge. And if you haven't kept up on that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you've challenged that database, you can, you know, advance the baseline and the fundamentals that you fall back on. But that's exactly what it is. It's what you've, what you have made ingrained in you because otherwise it's perishable. I think the research is pretty clear on that. So yeah, right. you nailed it. Yeah, Absolutely nailed it. Um, it's, uh, it's funny. I just had a, I was having a discussion with my wife last night. Um, we were watching, uh, uh, there's a show on called crisis point. If anybody has, they, it's actual real incidents that police and firefighters have gone through. Um, and, uh, but there was one, one incident and she was asking me, you know, well, would, would, would you have done different or how would he have known to do something different? I think was the question. Sure. And I said, it's not that you, you can't be in the incident prior. And it's not what you decide to do with your training at that time. You have to plan for that incident before it even well happens. Ahead, yes. You have to you have to play those games. And mm-hmm. I know you've done it, and uh, I hope others do it as well, is you have to do the what ifs. Mm-hmm. Let's create an incident in our head. What if this happened? Because if we can think of it, it can indeed happen. Yeah. And that's how we do plan so that we're not we're not making up that decision in a your activating it if you will sure. in a split second yeah the decision was made six months before that when you were training yes on how to deal with that and i think that's important for people to understand is that split second decision i'd almost prefer to call it the split second action yes based on the decision i made two Long months before. ago a year yeah. ago whatever it was when i trained yeah for that i completely agree and that goes back to well planning ahead sure but visualization and visual visualization drills like yeah if you can dream it up <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a fan of hellfire and brimstone scenarios where sure. everything comes crashing down on you. But if it's realistic right. enough for you to sure. think about, I mean, train on it. And the first time you feel and experience it, ideally, is not on the fire ground. Right. You know, that's and, actually. And a lot of those come from. Uh, it, we don't even have to use, unfortunately, a whole lot of imagination sometimes <laughs> if we just read line of duty death reports. Yes. If we read those other incidents, say what happened to that incident? Okay. Now let's put ourselves in that incident. Yep. And let's, you know, not only do we learn from it, but we that's how we make sure they didn't lose their life in vain by making sure that we don't do that yeah. again. Lawrence Gonzalez in Deep Survival says commune with the dead. It's it's unfortunate, but we can we can glean a lot from it and then we can create training from that. Um yeah, so you're back on the firehouse floor, you know, you're running calls, <laughs> you feel good about it. You know, we talked about training. Um Unless there's anything else, uh, mindset-wise, of getting back in there that that stuck out to you? No, no, I think we yeah. I think we're good to move. We can move on. Yeah, okay. I know you got a good good section on lessons learned. Yes, so. um, pro- probably. Uh, 
uh, main ones. And uh, it's interesting when I when I every time I go out and talk with the academy classes, that's that reminds me of some of the lessons learned. And they have, I yeah. find new ones. And go, oh, you know what? You know, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, probably the the first one that that stands out is uh, is I always made a point to uh, check doors if I needed to use the door at the time. Yeah, yeah. Or if I found a door that was closed and I went into that room, I would close the door when I came out so that I would remember in my mental mapping, it's there were two closed doors and then I got to an open door, that kind of thing. So from that aspect, or on a vent enter search situation, but in the routine, going down a hallway to go in a room to search it, <clears throat> when I first went into the room to search a room, just like I did that day, I would go in. If the door was open, I wouldn't really give much thought to the door yeah. other than, you know, checking behind it. But as far as the function of the door and will it close all the way and that kind of thing, because I didn't need the door to get in the room and there wasn't a hazard while I was in the room, I, I almost ignored the door, if you will. Yeah. Um, after that, um, every time I went into a room, I would check and make sure the, the door, the function of the door, that I could close it all the way. So that yeah, if yeah. I needed to close that door, I knew going into the room, I didn't find out at the time that I needed the door. Oh, now I got to dig it out from yeah. a bunch of stuff. So, um, so I would say check, check those door functions um, was a lesson to me, um, regardless of whether or not at the time I even need to use the door sure. uh, for, for what my task is. Yeah. Um, the overall big one, not necessarily just to me, but to everybody <clears> – <throat> is we we can't go they they teach them in the academy you can't go anywhere without a buddy you can't go to the bathroom you can't do anything (laughs) if there's a may day there's always potential a great potential that there's two people involved in that may day Mm -hmm. um keep the may day firefighter abreast of their partner's status um and that's what played big into mine was every time i came to that window and i wanted to know where mike is what nobody nobody would give me that information not just because they couldn't hear me but nobody's thinking that they're thinking you're in trouble we know where mike is yeah right right. so you need to come down but if you're in that situation and speaking from being in that situation i'm not going to leave my partner behind yeah the information i need because i'm at the window i can figure out how to get out the information i need i need to know the status of my partner so that I can come out. Yeah. I can physically come out, but mentally I'm not coming out unless you give me that answer. So I would say, make sure you keep the firefighter, uh, the Mayday firefighter abreast of their partner status. And in some cases it might just mean one statement. He's out. Now let's focus on you. Okay. Understand that. Um, I did have a question and a very valid question from, from one of the Academy. Uh, class students one time and they asked me he said what if the mayday firefighter's partner is deceased and i said you can still give a status without giving them information that could be detrimental to them at that time yeah. and i said something as simple as you know we we've got we've got personnel with so and so yeah or just you, there's ways that you can say just like we would say to a person in a, in a car accident um if there's a a, a you know, bad outcome with their, somebody else in a vehicle. Yeah, sure. But make them aware that you know what's going on with their partner 
Yeah. Because then they can focus on them getting themselves out as opposed to, I'm not leaving. You you can tell me all day long what you want me to do. But if my partner's not out, I've got a rescue to make. Yes. And that's that was my mindset. Yeah. And I believe that would be other firefighters' mindsets as well is You're I've got a job to do. I know you got a job to do to try to find me. I've got a job to do to get my partner. partner yeah. And so, I think... I don't mean to speak too far out of turn here. No, I mean, no. granted, <clears throat> the technology and error is a little different now. Communication on that side hopefully is easier for us. But even <laughs> in that instance, if there's a breakdown, would it have helped to have somebody actually just climb the ladder and yell at the window? Like, we know we oh. have him. Get the hell out. Sure. Yep. Like, I mean, I don't mean to simplify it that much, but maybe it None could be it. that simple. Yes. You know? Yes, it could have been. Do that extra little bit of work to just boogie up the ladder and grab you by the shoulder and say, no, right. we have him. Right. We got Mike. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something as that simple would have been, would have done it. Yeah. Um, again, same kind of thing with people talking about Mike going out. I don't hold that against anybody because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. Yes. And people hadn't been exposed to that kind of, this, of an incident, many of them before. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm not, I'm not sure what, if there had been any in the department prior to that of something similar to, to, to our incident. Sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah, do that. The, the other one, we talked about the deck. Um, we didn't know there was a deck below us. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of goes hand in hand with three sixties, yeah. um, which was a, that was the beginning of the change in our department to do three sixties, regardless of how big the area was or how, how much time it would take, uh, to get somebody on a three sixty. Um, but knowing where the deck is, I couldn't see the deck. We hadn't done a 360, so I hadn't seen it from the outside. It was smoke. I couldn't see it from the inside. Neither could Mike. Um, making that statement, and I emphasize, and this is something that came from high-rise incidents because the levels are, are different or there might be floor numbering um, uh, disparities. But reporting a deck down from the roof because everybody can see the roof. Mm-hmm. If you let somebody know there's a deck two stories down from the roof, two floors down from the roof, Everybody can do their own math yeah. and figure that out, and they know. Um, so make sure they know there's a deck yeah. where it is. I encourage people to do it down from the roof and don't say on the main floor because coming from the front, coming from the back, yeah, the main floor may be different. Then you need to be able to intelligently say what the main floor is also. Yes, yeah. yes. identifying the floors from the start. Yeah. Um, we've had to change on incidents and let people know that that's not the basement. That's the first yeah. floor because it's a wall, it's, it's on a slab yeah. and people referring to an incident as a basement kind of thing. Yeah. But generally speaking, the roof line or gutter line generally is a fixed location. You can see from all sides. <clears throat> There's always like some caveat there, but I like that. Yeah. Um, yep. so, uh, so that, that was important and, um, don't leave out whether or not it's accessible from the ground. Um, mm-hmm. that makes a, again, That's a big deal, yeah. ladders, um, you know, who can, it's not, it's more critical to those coming around to get up than those coming down. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd like to have steps going down, but if I'm in a three story townhouse and I can dr- hang and drop to one level, I can hang and drop another level. It's only one level each time. So for me, but, um, I don't know if anybody has physically done it or they just sit there and do the drawing on paper, but, uh, you'll find out the angle of a ladder and whether or not a 35 can actually hit the roof of a townhouse yeah. with a deck sticking out. Right. It can't make it to the second floor window. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. So anybody wants to challenge that, <laughs> feel free, but without bending the ladder, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you won't be able to make that second floor. So think about that when you go, when you are laddering, um, let somebody know if you make the, what, so the, let them know the access and the location yeah. so that the crew is bringing ladders could say, oh, wait a minute, 
he just said there's no access we need we need at least one yeah. uh, roof ladder in that group and we need uh, at least two ladders yeah to affect the process so you know again and communication is great nowadays because we have radios yeah um uh i give a lot of credit like i said to uh to the firefighter that came around back with the roof ladder because he did that double throw mm-hmm. um and then somebody else ended up coming around with a ladder to make up the difference by the time we came out great. yeah so um you see uh, i mentioned 360s um some of the other, uh, uh, you know, be be aware of the changing conditions and respond to them. Don't assume somebody else is going to deal with it. And what I mean by that is if you're on the second floor and the heat starts building up, don't go, oh, they're working on the first floor. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. Again, and a lot of that goes back to communication, too. We didn't have it then, but communicating now. Hey, you know, let the first floor know. Hey, what do you got going on down there? Because we're getting a lot of heat build up on the second floor. Does two things. One, it lets them know what your situation is. It also might let them know that they're not hitting the fire. They might yeah. even think they are. Right. Um, that's happened, you know, many times is the fire you see and what you think it is, but you don't realize it's traveling another avenue. Yeah. Um, and realizing <clears throat> that you're not making that making that effect. So, uh, um, so processing those those effects. Now it happened pretty quick on ours. Like I said, it was seconds. Um, but, uh, uh, but if you start noticing that, you know, yeah. make that, make that known, don't keep it to yourself. And like you said, you had three things hit you at once with the burnt through hose line, <clears throat> the flow path and the kitchen floor giving way to give it even more of, right. of an open floor flow path. So, right. I mean, when it rains, it pours, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Per- perfect storm. <laughs> so, um, the, um, as far as, you know, if you will, departmental lessons learned was mm-hmm. accountability systems. That's actually when we started uh, as a result of that incident is when we started working toward and, and we've we've evolved it through a number of them. But uh, shortly after that, it came to a minimum of on a piece of paper writing down what crews were where, because at the time nobody knew who was where yeah. uh, crews were assigned to go in. When they say I had to have firefighters in the back, they didn't know who they were because nobody knew exactly where our assignments were. Um, so if you if you talk to the officer that sent that specific person, he might go, well, I sent them to the second floor, but nobody else on the fire ground knew. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a single point. If a tree fell on that officer, then it's gone. Right. All that information's gone. So um, from the lessons learned departmentally, that was one of them was accountability systems. Um communications was realized mm-hmm. um and that was the start of increasing we we went to two portables on the apparatus um and for a long time that's all we had but at least that gave one to the officer and then the crew that would be on the line which at that time we had if you had four people on the engine you were really <laughs> it was a big day good. yeah right so uh so at a minimum for the most part you had contact with everybody with that size of a crew yeah. um you had contact with everybody and that was Probably over a period of two years following that, they were able to affect that. Um, and uh, as we all know, there's money involved. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. So uh, radios were expensive then, just as like they're expensive yeah. now. So uh, dealing with budgets. But over a period of of about two years following that incident, uh, it got to the point where there was at least two portables on every piece of apparatus yeah. uh, as a result of that. Um, the... Uh, uh, 
Oh, and uh, basement access. Mm-hmm. Big one. Uh, back back when that happened, it was unheard of. <clears throat> um, and I know some people don't buy into it today, <clears throat> but everybody makes their choices. <clears throat> <laughs> it was unheard of back then to go in through a neighboring townhouse that oh, wasn't yeah, involved, yeah. <laughs> nice clean carpet, and go in <laughs> through their front door, out their back door, and back in the back door <clears throat> of the house that's on fire. Sure. Um, and uh, that that is a viable technique, yep. depending on where that middle of the group townhouse is. Um, I'm sure other jurisdictions have them. There's uh, several in Harrah County that are up to eight townhouses long. <clears throat> oh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's some good setbacks. Um, so it's, you know, it used to be five. <clears throat> yeah. Was the was the maxi that was a row of townhouses. Now there's eight. I don't know if there's any longer than that in the county, I but I know there's now, yeah. there's several eights. Um, and some of those eights aren't our typical townhouses. They're the um, 3,000 square foot yeah. townhouses. Um uh, they probably have some fancy name other than calling them a townhouse now because nobody wants to call <laughs> nobody wants to call a townhouse a row house. So I'm sure the people that have the three thousand and five thousand square foot ones don't want to call them townhouses. Yeah, right, right. <clears throat> so, uh, but it's a significant run to go all the way around. Yes. That it is a viable avenue to go through a neighboring townhouse mm-hmm. and then back in, um, and keeping that that open. Back then, we traditionally went on every basement fire the same way. Is unless for some reason you happen to approach and the where you parked you happen to went oh there's a basement door there if we were on side alpha we went down the basement steps yeah that was that was that's what you did and uh so that was that was a change um the uh uh, as far as departmental change that's that's probably the big ones um you know the 360s the the communication and the and the access uh accountability systems those were probably the big departmental changes um takeaways that i try to pass on to people is is uh and a big one is mental mapping (laughs) um i know you've talked to folks about mental mapping Mm -hmm. and uh anything you everything inside that building is part of the map and if you move something you have to move it with a purpose and you have to remember what that move was because that may be your avenue of getting back out of some place. Yeah. Um, when I was going through the room, um, interestingly, there are a couple pieces of furniture that stick out in my mind, and I still remember them. There was a there was a um, some type of a dresser <laughs> type unit. Um, and actually, I'm sitting here looking at the one behind you and your oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the room here. And I never, I'll tell you right now, I never actually saw it because of how much smoke was there. I just know from my feel of it yeah. um, that it was kind of similar oh, okay. to the yeah. to the hutch that, uh, that you have <clears throat> yeah. behind you, but had a, a lower level opening to one of things. <clears throat> but I remembered where that was, and every time I searched the room, when I got to that, I knew that I had completed yeah. the room. Right. Um, so that, that piece of furniture stuck out to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. The bed that I had to go over top of. Every time I remembered where that was in the room, mm-hmm. um, so so those landmarks. If I had gone in like a bull in a China, China shop and just started knocking things around, yeah, I would not have had those landmarks. Landmarks that not only told me I searched the room, but likely landmarks that allowed me to continue to get back to the window when I needed to get sure. back to the window. So and an otherwise tough landscape anyway, being yes. a hoarder house. Yes. Yeah. So those two landmarks were huge. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so if you move something, move it with a purpose. Remember where you moved it to. Just don't knock stuff out of the way because 
is it an obstacle or is it a landmark? And that's what I try to tell people is yeah. um, if it's not keeping me from going somewhere and go around it, I'd rather leave it there. Yes. Um, so that I, when I need to get out um, or I need somebody to come get me, I mm-hmm. can tell them, well, this is how I got here. Yeah. Um, and houses typically are set up for travel and living. <clears throat> so if we are moving things, it's not happening as much, but I still see it with 10, 15 year guys and gals where we're going in for a search drill and it's the bull in the china shop and moving things and couches and you, now you're just messing up your egress potentially because more often than not rooms are set up so it has a natural flow right right and you're just messing that flow up absolutely so, yeah yeah and then it and then under stress if you come across one of those areas and you're thinking logically hey i came across you know a table uh, a couch, whatever yep. it may be, a chair, a kitchen table, whatever. Logically, I'm thinking where that would be in the house, but now somebody has gone ahead and shoved it. Yeah, can actually be detrimental to me because now it's now it's changing. I'm trying to think logically how yeah. to get out of here, and you've turned it into an uh, illogical yes. arrangement. So, yeah. um, so think about your other folks who got to come in, sure. <clears throat> your other crews. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Door swings, I, I paid a lot more attention to door swings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and what I mean that is, do they swing in or out? Yeah. You know, inward swinging into the room is more likely a living area. Yep. Um, could be a walk-in closet, so it's an English rule, not a math rule. <laughs> uh, uh, for the for those listening, the you know, English rule, I before E, except after C, except in words like All height and weight. <laughs> math, one plus one is always two. It's never going to be three. So yeah. that's the so English rule. <laughs> But on the higher end, closer to a math rule. But if it if it swings in, it's probably living space. From the aspect of me and my preservation, is if I have to get out of an area um, and I hit a door and it's going to swing in, then it's likely a living space. Mm -hmm. And generally, uh, almost a math rule, (laughs) living spaces have escapes. Should I can escape? Correct. Um, could be an older house, could be somebody <clears throat> did a non-permitted area, yep. could be the walk-in closet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may not, but oftentimes they're going to have windows and means of escape. So it, from, a, from a preservation perspective, um, you know, that's always thinking if it opens toward me, it's probably a closet someplace I don't want to go, yep. those kind of things. So keeping, keeping those aware, again, that kind of goes back to checking the door function when you go in. Uh, you feel the door, check the function. It also is giving you the answer is, is this an inward, outward, what I'm, you know. Yeah, uh, So for sure. Um, and then it kind of hand in hand with that is the, the floor coverings. And um, it was interesting uh, as I talk about this to different people who's going back, and I can actually remember floor coverings in that house yeah. um, years later that I, be quite honest with you, I never even consciously thought about the floor coverings at the time or years after that until I started uh, using this more in teaching about yeah. May Days. And I, and I can visualize going down the hallway and going in the rooms and remembering that that, that last bedroom had carpet in it. Um, mm. The upper hallway had carpet in it. <clears throat> the one room, which would have been the bathroom, was because it was in between the two. And I remember the in-between room that we checked was tiled. Yep. Um, it, just remembering that you know the type of floor coverings you would have in the different types of rooms in the, in the building and um so um probably and and uh my my key takeaways <laughs> uh that i try to make sure that i 
I keep these, and it's not just this incident, but but we had twenty two sixteen BA back then. Yeah. Uh, so half hour, half half hour half cylinder hour, right, quote, quote, quote right. <laughs> uh, half hour cylinder um, wasn't a half hour, just like you know forty five minute an hour cylinders aren't They're yeah. the the standard. If anybody wants to, it's really kind of interesting reading. Pull it up, see how they rate uh, cylinders, and it's a very interesting. It's actually an at rest sitting at a table. Uh, breathing mm-hmm. rate is how they rate. Uh, uh, that's that's my interpretation of how they have a better way of saying it. Yeah, but right, right. That that's how they're rated. So that's that's how that cylinder will last a half hour. Yeah. Um, so uh, with that in mind, BA always full. Mm-hmm. It, they're you know NFPA really nice. They'll allow you ten percent. <laughs> uh, I I can't breathe the ten percent that's not there. Um, anybody wants to do the math, that's 450 PSI. I don't, which potentially is four minutes, maybe longer. Yeah. Um, that's a whole other, (laughs) that's a whole other uh, story (laughs) about uh, air consumption. And, uh, but, uh, but BA full and every station, at least in, in Harry County has the ability to fill their BA in their station. So there's never, ever a reason to not have a 100% full BA. Uh, I can tell you right now that you actually can take it higher than 45. Yep. Um, <laughs> um, I, if I remember correctly, 5,400 is the resettable, um, <laughs> the resettable uh, relief valve. Um, I always ran mine to between 48 and 5,000 um, yeah. every time. So I if I can squeeze yeah. it in there, I'm taking it. Hell yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know how long folks can hold their breath, but if they want to sit at just sit at a table and hold it for four minutes. It'd be pretty interesting to see. Time, so right? <laughs> if I can live four minutes longer and four minutes is, a, you can do a lot of work in four minutes. Hell yeah. Um, so life, it's, it's life changing air yes. on a fire for sure. Um, and, and actually the, the air consumption goes hand in hand, physical fitness. Yep. I don't need to know. Uh, I need to talk real long about any specifics on that, <laughs> but m- maintain your physical fitness from the time you walk in the door until the time you leave. Um, you, the call that you need either for yourself or to rescue someone else, whether it be a civilian or, mm-hmm. or, uh, one of your partners doesn't change. It's, it's not different on the first day than it is on the last day. I don't give you any, any, uh, little bit of, uh, exception. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. That's the old guy. Yeah. No, no, he's, he's okay. Ma'am, he gets an extra two minutes to get to you, <laughs> you know, cause she's not going to appreciate that. So, sure. um, yet you, you have to, you have to maintain that level of physical fitness, throughout your career and be able to, as, as I say, you should be able to pass the entrance physical fitness mm-hmm. exam uh, when you leave the job, just as you could on the day you walked in the door. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I can't take credit for the saying. I don't remember where I heard it, but, you know, I tell folks, do you want you to be the one coming to rescue you yes. when you're in trouble? And if you really seriously think about that and you go, you sit down and go, man, Man, I hope they don't send somebody that's in my equivalent, my clone, yep. to come looking for me because I ain't going to be able to do it. Yeah. And hopefully that resonates in folks' minds and they think about that deep and hard of, you know, if do I want somebody like me? You know, if you're thinking about somebody other than yourself coming to rescue, that means you need to work on something. If you go, man, I sure hope they send so-and-so. Yeah. You know, no. You should be thinking, man, I sure hope they send me. Yes. Um, be introspective with that. And, I, you know, I can preach on this for yeah, until, until the cows come home, right? Um, that's something near and dear to me. And kudos to you. you. You just tossed it up for me. You spent over 40 years in the fire service. And day one, you know, you came in and the test was different then. But on your last day, 
in your last year, over 40 years in the fire service, you did the physical. Right. I was able to pass the, the CPAC. Right. So you, you preached that and you lived it. Um, after 40 years, still being able to do the test, um, going into retirement, you know, you can rest easy at night knowing that you held up your end of the bargain. And so I appreciate that. And that's a shining well, example you. of what so many people should be doing late in their careers. And we, even with our line of duty, we had 30 plus year members in the heat of things, you know, holding up their end of the bargain because sure. they did keep up with it. And not everybody can say that even five year guys, right. you know, sometimes can't say that. So yeah, yeah, hats off to you. So that's, uh, yeah. It, and hopefully, you know, the, the, um, yeah, the, the mentoring of folks like yourself and others that, you know, understand that will continue that yeah, that's throughout the department. So, uh, um, and then, uh, oh, one thing I meant to say about the 360s is sometimes we get, uh, make sure you're looking at that from both a rescuer and as a victim perspective. Um, when I say victim, I'm talking about you being the victim. Yeah. Um, you being the Mayday firefighter, when you do a, a 360, don't just be looking at it from where where in the house might they be or where is the fire? It should be, hmm, I noticed that's an exit. That's a good escape. Uh, that's a problem. Or those are landmarks if I get disoriented. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think a lot of folks come in looking at 360s as – this is, I'm looking at it for the purpose of attacking this building yeah. and not, I'm looking at it from the purpose of escaping from this building. this building. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, so that, so that's important. Yeah. Um, so, you know, throughout the, I, I kind of end it with throughout your career and, and even beyond your career, uh, always be a student. Yeah. You should be learning something from every single call you go on, everything you see, no matter how minor a call is, you know, your ability just to go into the side of a building, you might be on a medical call. That doesn't stop you from learning from that building from the fire perspective as well as the EMS perspective. But mm-hmm. you're in the building. That's your opportunity to look around. We don't get to look around houses and buildings, uh, some of them very frequently, especially the residentials, um, which which is a high hazard to us. Uh, if And I don't know that we always look at it that way. We think of the big commercial building as if we have a fire in that building, man, that's going to be bad. And yeah. And I'm, that's not where we're losing firefighters. Yeah. So when you go on those medical calls, take the opportunity to look around, learn something from that building. Um, the two-bit fire call, step it up a little bit in your discussion after the call and learn something from it. Um, yes. Learn something from everybody else. Chief of the department can learn something from a rookie, and a rookie can learn something from the chief of the department. So don't ever think that you know somebody doesn't have something to offer to you and you don't mm-hmm. have something to offer to them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, be a student. Yeah. Hell yeah. No. And I <clears throat> appreciate everything you've said. You've always, um, every time we get to talk about some of the maydays in our department to the recruit classes, um, you always get good questions and to kind of close things out, there are two things that, uh, stick in my mind that I really cherish that you've talked on. One of them, if you would, uh, talk about the job description analogy, uh, if you would. So, uh, my, my very first supervisor, uh, when I got in the department and my first year and I was having my evaluation, he pulled out the job description for a firefighter and he said, read this. And I'd read it before, but I, I read it and I read through the whole thing. And he said, okay, 
He said, if you do absolutely everything in that job description perfectly, without a single error, through the entire year, you're average. And uh, and that and, and I've held that with me uh, ever since then. It, it's one of those things that just stuck with me. And and I realized what he was saying was, this is what we expect from you. Yes. This the average firefighter does all these things. You want to yeah. be above average? You got to go beyond this. So if you're stopping here, you're you're not doing your part in advancing and developing your knowledge and your training. This is what we expect. Yeah. Um, and and that stuck with me. Yeah. So yeah. if you do everything in your job description absolutely perfectly, to the T, not a single reprimand, nothing. Yeah. You're average. Yeah, pardon my language. I fucking love that. <laughs> and every time I remember you write it up on the board and you tell the recruits that. Um, I'm probably going to start stealing that. Feel for mine, man. I, it's yeah, it's it is what is expected of you, mm-hmm. and this is this is the average. Yeah, um, yeah advance that. I yeah. love that. Feel free to use yeah. it and call it your own. Yeah, I always tell people <laughs> if I tell you something and give you, you don't have credit to yourself. Carry <clears throat> on, call it your own. It doesn't, you know, I don't yeah. need credit for anything. It's, uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how some of those things that you hear, yeah, uh, stick with you and. Uh, uh, not only from the aspect of, uh, you know, he's, he's telling me from, you know, an evaluation and, eva- and, and uh, uh, administratively, if yeah. you will, but also from the practical aspect of it that, you know, we have, a, we have an obligation. Yeah. Um, not just there. Uh, again, going back to who do you want to rescue you? Do you want the average firefighter rescuing you? Hell or do you no. want the one that said, you know, this is really nice, but... Let me see the what's the job what's the job description for the next level up? Yeah, because as a firefighter, I want to do that. Yeah, um, and every time I do that, I want to be beyond that. So. Yeah, yeah. Advance, advance the expectation. Advance what's basic. Um, the other thing I took. <clears throat> so, your last assignment, you're in you're the um, countywide A shift safety officer, and especially post line of duty, we did a lot of work with uh, our SCBA changing mm-hmm. it, modifying it. We talked about the EEC, the emergency escape cylinders, and you you played a major role in that. <clears throat> and something that I really appreciated is that you would come in and, you know, where I was at, we were constantly trying to stress the firefighters in a healthy way, uh, push and advance the capabilities of the SCBA and find workarounds to them because we were just trying to disaster plan and find as many you know, weeds and nuances we could. And I remember things got to a point where other parts of the committee would take information and run with it. And they'd say, oh, well, these guys did this or these guys recommended that, so we're going to do this thing. And I remember you would come in and you would find out, like, well, hold on, we those guys didn't say that. And you would always back up the people that needed to be backed up so and i say a couple and i'm taking this a couple different ways one is i always appreciated how you would get to the root level of things right to see how things were built and how discussions evolved because with that with that fundamental understanding then you had a, a greater idea of where things came from and where they were going and how they grew and got to places instead of just taking it for a grain of salt right and that was a good lesson for me was well how did this even this conversation even get to this point and 
having that institutional knowledge was, was really beneficial. And then <clears throat> you can talk to anybody in the department that worked with you and beyond a shadow of any doubt, a common thread was if my employee did the right thing, I will have that employee's back to the end of the days. And people knew that they felt it. And I saw it for where you had our backs at certain things. Um, so again, a shining example of that I always appreciated that people felt it, they experienced it, they knew it. And there's no better feeling that when you may be in a tough spot, professionally, personally, administratively, operationally, that if you needed somebody to have your back and it was you, you're, you're going to be okay. And even if it meant that you, um, it may slight your name with higher ups, you were at peace with that because you always took care of the person and you, you were, you were okay with that. And that's, that's an example that I think a lot more people could follow. So thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. They, uh, do the right thing regardless of the consequences. And some people think that sounds odd, but yeah, sometimes when you do the right thing, there are consequences, but yeah, you got to do the right thing. Yeah. That is a super simple way to say it. And that is, it doesn't get any more eloquent than that. So, um, man, that's a hell of a good place to stop as any. Unless you have any other closing thoughts? No, I think that I think that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This is always a always a pleasure. Thanks, Cap. Awesome. Thank you.